how many of you caught yourself this week chasing contentment? Yeah, one of us, two of us, moments during the week, a few other hands, a few other brave nods. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to be content. Last week, we spoke from Ecclesiastes and we talked about the meaninglessness that the teacher talks about with respect to life. And we looked closely at that word hebel, hebel, which is translated as breath. That our life is filled with things that are but a breath. And so if we place meaning into those things that are elusive, they pass through our fingers like sand, our life becomes filled with meaninglessness. We talked about how we're to watch our goals, assess what drives us, assess what is important to us. Because that's the thing that will call attention to those ways that are diverting us away from the contentment that God wants to bring us. And we talked about assessing our gratitude because gratitude and contentment are deeply connected. And the world constantly tells us we should be lacking in gratitude. We should always have more. My own story of discontentment runs deep. I spent most of my early life in business. I grew up third generation business. And so I was taught from a young age to live in the business cycle. That when things are up, you're up. But when things are down, down you go with it. To disconnect yourself from that cycle was almost impossible. It was impossible for my grandfather. It was impossible for my father. And it was impossible for me. Discontentment runs deep in the Guthrie family. In my own journey towards contentment, God has given me the book of James. I don't know what it says about me that Ecclesiastes and James are my favorite books in the Bible, or maybe I do know what it says about me and it's a little embarrassing, but if Ecclesiastes, the teacher, is the one at the party that's sitting in the corner saying everything is terrible, James is the one standing in the middle of the room poking your chest and say, do better. But there's something I need in both of those books. I need the one that says, the things you strive for are but a breath. And you need to pay attention and to do better. And so this morning we're going to talk about embracing contentment. 
Now I normally speak for a bit and then we talk about living the story, but today we're going to live the story from the beginning. You're gonna need to change that slide, there we go. I don't know why this isn't working, but we'll figure it out. We need help to live this story. James draws us in and he moves us towards contentment by opening our minds to this idea of giving our faith active participation. James starts off his letter after introducing himself. I can imagine James standing up and saying, hi, my name is James. It's a privilege to pastor here at the Jerusalem Baptist Church. And then he goes on right away in his sermon, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. What an opening line. I know things are hard, but isn't that awesome? Like, James, that's not a way to start an encouraging sermon. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed and you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. See, James connects endurance to contentment. He connects suffering to contentment. He connects need to contentment. And it's a profound statement. To endure in our faith is to embrace contentment. So this morning we're going to do a brief survey of James, starting in verse 9, chapter 1. Believers who are poor have something to boast about. For God has honored them, and those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all their achievements. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. It's all hebel. It's all but a breath. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we out of all creation, become his prized possession. God is content with us. And we embrace contentment through paying mindful attention to what tempts us. The call that James is giving us is to be aware of what tempts you. You can change that slide. Thank you. You see, temptation draws us away from worshiping God. 
and draws us toward worshiping the created. Temptation draws our heart toward discontentment. We live in a world that coats us with a sticky syrup of tempting treats. At LTD in level one at Gull Lake, one of the days they have to write a covenant. They have to write out kind of the statement of what they want their lives to be in the service of God. But they do so coated in pancake syrup. And they have to sit there and try and write with these sheets of paper and a stickiness on their pen and it's trying to get this out and they're trying to write this and there's mosquitoes and bugs that are coming and sticking to the syrup. It's awful. But it's a reminder of just what it is to live a life of faith. Because we get coated in that same sticky syrup as it tempts us to engage in things. James Smith calls it mall theology. Images of the good life in our world, love of money, love of, of status and power, these relentless lures that pull us away from God. And it's costly to our faith and to our purse as it drains our resources And as a society, we continually dig ourselves deeper and deeper into debt, trying to chase the good life. Chasing things the world tells us we need and God says we don't. See, I think we need to learn to trust God and his word rather than in the trinkets of the world. But they are so tempting. And so the question this morning is, what tempts you? John, in his first letter, writes, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. Craving for physical pleasure, craving for everything we see, and pride and achievement in our possessions. And a, pride in our achievements and possessions. This sums up temptation. Every single one of us is tempted in these three ways. So what tempts you? And I encourage you to take this to prayer. Share your struggles with one another in community because it's the human condition to crave pleasure, things, status, control. And we all fall short and we all struggle in our own unique ways. But here's the good news. Our lives are transformed by the gospel and we learn through the gospel and through the Holy Spirit who changes us to see the world differently and to stand firm against temptation we increasingly become more able to walk the way God wants us to walk. And that's just the start of a much larger project. James continues in chapter two, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? 
For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you can give if you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor, isn't it the rich who oppose you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. We embrace contentment through our engagement with others, through hospitality. And so be aware of who you welcome. I found it very interesting as Evaristo prayed this morning. He and I didn't talk, but God clearly has planted on both our hearts this desire to look and accept and embrace those on the margins. See, we live in a world that claims scarcity and it sends the message that we should look out for our own. We should seek out relationships that serve our personal agendas. And so society is always assessing people. It's placing you in a pecking order. Who can get me better? Who can move me forward? Who can benefit me? And those are the ones that society says we should seek. But our God is a generous God, an abundant God. And he sees everyone and loves us all. And he wants the church to reflect that generous love back to the world. And that generosity is meant to shape the way we live. James urges a faith that is more than a mere profession but it's lived out in actions and deeds that connect us to others. To embrace biblical contentment is to seek out those who bring us no worldly value and may even cost us something, the poor, the marginalized, the hurting, the unsuccessful, the depressed. And there is no power in doing so. Our life is shaped by what we see. I can tell you from experience, hanging out with the poor has this amazing gift that comes with it. Immediately, you begin to appreciate what you have and who you have. There's a gift that comes from the beauty of the poors and the way they support one another. Not always but it's a profound gift back to us. You see, connections matter. And hospitality opens us up to real meaning with real people. And when we seek out the poor and the hurting and the broken, our lives are immediately filled with purpose and value. And these connections are crucial. They're crucial for us to embrace contentment and to endure 
And it's been my experience that we are able to endure difficult things as long as we feel connected. It is the caring community around us that supports us and prays for us. It's what helps us to endure the difficulties in life. Now in McNeil and Morrison write, the crisis in the lives of many caring Christians today are closely associated with the deep feelings of not belonging. This is not simply a psychological observation, but a theological truth, because apart from a vital relationship with a caring community, a vital relationship with Christ is not possible. If this is true for Christians, how much more difficult it must be for those living without a relationship with Christ. See, this connectedness is so deeply important. And the world is lonely. And tragically, in many churches, even in our church, we find that we're lonely too. So seek out connection. Seek out hospitality. Be prepared for a surprise. Because biblical hospitality comes with the gift of contentment. And then James comes back and pushes us a little further. Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of of heaven's army. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. God cares about justice. And from the world's perspective, we are rich. We are the ones who have control. And we're called to grieve the way our culture exploits the global poor and ignores the local poor. We embrace contentment through a properly ordered discontentment. And so to embrace contentment were to cultivate a holy discontent. To allow our hearts to be broken by the things that break God's heart. See, contentment does not mean that we don't voice our complaints to God because the world is hurting. Injustice does affect us. It does bother us. It does cause us to lament, and it ought to. And so a holy discontent draws us to the way God sees the world. It calls us to cry out and seek God and to seek God's word because when God speaks, things happen. They happen to us. They happen in us and they happen through us. But so often, it all feels so slow. I want things to change. I want justice, and I want contentment, and I want it now.
Can you feel that? Sometimes I see the world as I drive through Edmonton and I see homelessness. And what rises up me is, is that holy discontent. But then immediately I see the billboard for the new Audi and I'm discontented again. Because every car should have quattro. <laughs> Justice should break our heart and draw us to a holy discontent. I want contentment. I want justice. And I want it now. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. We embrace contentment by embracing peace. And to do this, we are called to cultivate a life of patience. The world is noisy. Contentment is quiet. The world is demanding and unforgiving. Contentment is a work of grace. The world tells us to get what is owed and contentment rests in God's providence. And that is the message for this morning, to embrace contentment, to be aware of what tempts us, to be aware of who we welcome, to cultivate a holy discontent, and to cultivate a life of peace through the development and opening ourselves up to patience. May it be so. May we all find contentment. May we all embrace contentment. And may we do so in Jesus Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord, we live in a discontented age. Lord, I think of social media and the ways we are bombarded with the good life the curated messages from those who want us to see how amazing their life is. But Lord, you know the truth deep down inside of us. We all hurt. We all have needs. We are all desperate to be loved. We all want more. But we so often seek it in the wrong place. Lord, we drink from the puddles when we could consume from the deep pool. So Lord, this morning I pray that each and every one of us listening would embrace contentment in you. That Lord, we would be mindful of those things that tempt us. That Lord, we would ask you to help us to break free from those things that bind us. That, Lord, we would open ourselves up to welcoming the stranger, to seeing the lost, the lonely, the poor, to be open to the ways you want to draw us together. Lord, break our hearts 
Make us discontented for the things that break your heart. And Lord, help us to be patient, to wait for you, and to embrace peace. Lord, we ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.